Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Hey everybody, happy holidays. <clears throat> happy holidays, did I just turn Australian there? <laughs> Good day! Try the barbie. That's not a Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. All right. <clears throat> happy holidays, everybody. Uh, my name is Jim Towns. I want to welcome you to the special year-end episode of the Borco Pass Horror Podcast as we close out 2022 with, hopefully, a bang. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about 1944's House of Frankenstein, arguably the first true Monster Mash film Universal made. Uh, it's definitely the first time all three monsters Dracula, Wolfman, and Frankenstein monster were all in a film that the studio produced together, even if they don't all meet in the film, as we'll get into it. All right. Um, we want to do something special for this one. Uh, we want to get a bunch of folks together because it is a monster mash. Uh, so we thought it was only fair to assemble our own rogues gallery of co-hosts. We were hoping to bring you back uh, the triumphant return of Scott Kelly, Borgo Pass Horror Podcast co-founder. Uh, Unfortunately, like Bob Cratchit, his bosses are making him work <laughs> deep into the holiday season. So uh, we're going to have to hopefully bring him to you at a later date. But never fear, because we have joining me uh, uh, our series regular co-host, Livio Marino. Hey, Livio. Howdy, howdy. And one of our frequent guest co-hosts, uh, a guy I go way back with. Um, uh, he's always good on these Monster Mash films, Mr. Tony Salvaggio. Howdy. So you can tell I'm your friend because I can pronounce your last name, unlike the telemarketers, yeah, right? There you, there go. you go, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, House of Frankenstein follows Dr. Gustav Niemann, a scientist in prison for 15 years for conducting immortal, immortal, immoral experiments. Uh, and he takes his loyal hunchback assistant, Daniel, on a road trip to discover the secrets of Dr. Frankenstein's creations and to take revenge on the men who imprisoned him. Uh, on this quest, they'll encounter Count Dracula, the Wolfman, and Frankenstein's monster himself while leaving a trail of bodies in their wake. The film stars Boris Karloff as Dr. Niemann, Lon Chaney, who is not billed as Lon Chaney Jr. in this film, I noticed. I want to talk about that. Uh, playing, of course, Lawrence Talbot, a.k.a. the Wolfman. John Carradine plays Dracula, a.k.a. Baron Latos. Glenn Strange in his first appearance as the monster. J. Carroll Nash as Daniel. and Gwynn as Rita Houseman, Lionel Adwill, George Zucco, Alina Verdugo, Sig Roman, and a bunch of other universal uh, kind of regular cast members uh, in this really big production. Uh, the, we've already talked about Son of Dracula, or uh, Son of, Dra of House of Dracula on the, the podcast. So we're kind of going back one step before this to House of Frankenstein, which to me seems like a pretty only even a more lavish production than it, than it's it's uh, the follow up. So I'm excited about this. So I'm going to do what our friend Jason Henderson does on uh, Castle Horror Podcast, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, and which Tony is a regular contributor on, um, and bring in you guys and just have you guys give just your top shelf overview of what this film was to you growing up and what do you think it's important uh, places in the universal canon? So let's uh, Tony, let's start with you. Sure. I unfortunately didn't see this one until, uh, you know, quite, I was an adult before I saw it. It didn't play on the monster theater 
where I regularly saw uh, Universal Horror, and that's where I was introduced to it um, at a really young age, probably kindergarten age. That's where I knew I was Monster Kid, I think. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I dig it. It's it's a strange mix. You know, you, you see them kind of trying to figure out it. It almost has um, an anthology feel in a way, mm. or it kind of starts to have that. You've got a different kind of Dracula. Um, you've got, you know, and the way that, that he's introduced and, and everything is is kind of different. And then you kind of go into a continuation of the previous film. Um, it's really strong characters. I think in the anthology section, they're, there's they almost have like the kind of are trying almost a screwball comedy romance kind of thing mm-hmm. in there too, which is interesting. Um, you know, maybe not my favorite Dracula, but an interesting choice in how they chose it. Uh, and I think that the way of continuing the continuation of um, the previous story is interesting as well. So I sure. dig it, um, but it's it's definitely still. It feels like still kind of finding where we're going to go with this stuff in a way. Interesting. Interesting. Cool, man. Thanks. Uh, all right, Livio. Yeah, for me, um, <clears throat> kind of similar story. You know, I, I shared when we talked about the mummy's ghost, there was a, a local mom and pop video store, rental store um, close to where I grew up. And the owner would always order in all the the Universal Monsters classic collection. And that, and that's, that was my gateway to, to really to view all these because there was no, I mean, this is early nineties. So there was no real, you know, like like, at least in Kansas city anyways, there was no real like horror hosts or or shows like that just on TV. Um, but for whatever reason, this one kind of eluded um, the ordering system of of said video store. I saw House of Dracula real real early on, and and a lot of the other ones. But this was one of the ones that that I just missed. And I was probably I don't know eleven, twelve, around then when I finally found a copy at a public library and and watched it for the first time. So you know, I having seen it and and it, it was almost like watching in a way is like watching a, a you know like a star wars prequel or something you know actually seeing instead of seeing the skeleton of dr neiman and the house of dracula i actually saw him sink in the quicksand and uh but as far as like you know story-wise and, and production-wise you know for me uh i mean it, honestly this was my my coming of age film you know i was I kind of saw it as my adolescence was was coming about, and and seeing characters like you know Larry Talbot and the Wolfman kind of involved in this, you know, as a kind of a love story, love triangle, and and all the things that come with that, and hearing the the wonderful music score and the familiarity of the Universal production of Boris Karloff. You know, combined with some of the newer stuff, like you know John Carradine as as Dracula and and things like that, is just uh, all all mixed together. Despite its many many flaws, um, I mean, I think you have a, a perfect recipe for just the quintessential monster rally film that we all love. That we don't, despite its faults, you know, we all can look past that and and really really enjoy this movie. Right, cool, man, nice. Um- uh yeah, uh, similar to to Tony. Yeah, I think you know Tony and I. We were both. I was. I know I was in college. I remember I was in my first apartment when I was buying these the Silvertop series, the VHS that were coming out, and um, and I think that's when I got 
this one or maybe right after college or somewhere somewhere around the 90s or so when when those were coming out was the first time I'd seen this movie. I'd heard about it, but first time I'd seen it. Um, I'd seen its immediate predecessor, uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, and then and then uh, it was maybe you know another decade before seeing this. Um, I was just saying to Livio before we started recording that I don't know if I've actually watched it since I got the Blu-ray edition of the the Frankenstein films. And when I popped it on to to you know refresh myself and do notes for the episode, I was amazed at how good looking it was. Um, and then looking and seeing like they Universal gave this a three hundred plus thousand dollar budget. This was uh, and and a long shoot time. This was this this was a mega production for them. Kind of they were really going for this. And and I'm watching it again for the first time in, in a few years. Um, you know the 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 thing that a lot of people talk about and the thing. I don't know if they talk about it critically. I think it's an interesting thing, uh, Tony. What you were saying about this starting to feel like almost more like a like a like a, a serial kind of thing um, is the fact that it is kind of two movies. It, there's the Drac, the first half with Dracula, and then the second half with the Wolfman and and the monster, which I kind of think is it just challenges you and keeps you fresh and stuff. Um, and the the main thing, I mean, one thing I think it just absolutely has going for it is. Boris Karloff getting to play a character non the monster and even getting to interact with the monster. There's this kind of like postmodern meta thing happening that uh, it's either postmodern meta, depending on what generation you're from. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing as far as I'm concerned, I think um, uh, in the, in the, the guy who became famous for playing the monster ends up playing another character interacting with the monster. And in a funny way, the monster is kind of his, his own demise, which, um, but what we do get is, uh, Karloff getting to use that voice of his and use his diction and use his, his subtleties and everything like that. Um, not covered by makeup, not covered by, you know, uh, costume and, and, and not hampered by, um, playing a character who, who his marginal, uh, speaking ability. And I think that's a huge plus for the film. Um, Okay, we should get into it. Uh, uh, the film is uh, directed by Earl C. Kenton. Uh, it's written by Edward T. Lowe and is based on a Kurt Siobhan story. So I think that's where we get a little bit of continuation from the, its, its immediate predecessor again, Frankenstein versus Wolfman. Um, mm-hmm. We start, uh, we see a, a carriage driving by the, the screen with Professor Lampini's Chamber of Horrors painted on it. Um, it passes a big prison, which is called Neustadt Prison, which I find funny because... That means new town prison, and meanwhile the prison is obviously something from the Dark Ages. Um, <laughs> Livio, you were you were saying that was the what what was the set the outside set for? Yeah, the uh, <clears throat> the outside of the the prison there is is a leftover outside set from Tower of London, which we recently talked oh. about. That makes sense. That's cool. Um, cool. And chamber um, and chamber of horrors was actually the the um, one of the working titles for the for the film. It had several. I had the 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 you know universal stock working title of destiny then i think chamber of horrors and then it went to uh, the devil's brood which is what it was called for a long long time before it wound up being house of frankenstein that's wow let's let's just stop and be thankful it changed to house of frankenstein because <laughs> it's such a i mean as, as 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 nebulous a kind of a reference as it is i still think it's 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 just it, it keeps the things um uh a guard comes in and he checks on these prisoners that are in the prison, and one of them is Boris Karloff, who who uh, it is all shaggy and kind of uh, Count of Monte Cristo'd up uh, with a big beard and, and long hair, um, who, who grabs him by the throat and he's like, "Give me my chalk," and he makes him give him his chalk <laughs> yeah. because uh, because uh, uh, his character, Doctor uh, Neman, 
is is doing a bit of a lesson to his other his his cell his co cellmate or the guy in the next cell, uh, a hunchback character named Daniel, who's played by uh, uh, J. Carroll Nash, um, and he's explaining Frankenstein's technique to Daniel um, in a very elaborate way, and he's sort of explaining that Frankenstein uh, would have. Um, like cut cut the brainstem in a certain place and he's not so sure because he's a scientist himself and he's while Frankenstein is kind of his 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 uh idol in a way um he has some other ideas too so uh my first question I kind of want to reference Livio here and ask a question is and and, and Tony I want to bring you in this too so he Nemon mentions that uh, 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 Daniel asks him if he knew Frankenstein and he says, no, my brother was his assistant. Right. Do I have that right? Yeah. He says, my brother who assisted yeah. him learned his secrets. Right. Okay. So I, the question is, which Frankenstein is he talking about? Is he talking about Henry Frankenstein, Wolf Frankenstein or Ludwig Frankenstein? And, and so depending on that, was it, was, was Boris Carl's brother Dwight Fry? <laughs> uh, Bella Lugosi, or or someone else we haven't seen, I guess is the question. Yeah, I, I always took it as as it was someone that that probably came and passed. It's an interesting question because you could, I mean, you could think that just from the passage of time, by how much time has passed, it likely wasn't Henry Frankenstein, because there's right. there's a big chunk of time between Bride of Frankenstein and Son of Frankenstein. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> unless his brother was like 50 or 60 years older than he was, you know, <laughs> chances are chances yeah. are it's either Wolf or Ludwig. But the problem you run into there is neither one of them actually created the monster and would not have ever done those type of exper- experiments or that type of work. They, they just simply That's tried true. to restore the monster that was already created. So it's right. it's an interesting interesting concept i it's a it's just a quick uh we're gonna throw this in here because no one in 1944 is going to remember um you know the the 1935 and 39 movies so no one will care i think is ultimately what it was but but it creates this connection i think the answer is yes all of them (laughs) whichever one you think is the right one possibly right because you know again like you said it's it's Whoever whoever you feel like is is makes the most sense, and not to be in the way of telling the story of how how would this person get there? Oh, it's his brother. Okay, who's gonna? I mean, who really is gonna? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it, it, have a problem with that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, I think it's is it possible he's Lionel Atwell's brother from Ghost of Frankenstein, right? Uh, because I, I'm, well, my one take would be that I'm not sure either either Fritz. Uh, or, or or Igor would be able to actually communicate Frankenstein's scientific <laughs> methodology to somebody else, right? Like like if you right. asked if you asked Igor with the, the Y G O R uh, Belagosi's character, like so, how did Frankenstein do it? He'd be like, I don't know, lightning strike. I don't know. Like, like <laughs> your mother was the lightning. Just be, yeah. <laughs> that's not helping me. Okay, um, so. Uh, all right. Um, moving on. I just thought that was a, a, an interesting little reference. Yeah. Um, one. Uh, one. Uh, I, interesting. I do like though that as we see him, he's, you know, he's got. I guess he's in prison, so he's got nothing else to do. But he's really, he really is thinking about how I could improve on the Frankenstein 
legacy on the science of things and i think that's really interesting as a true as a true mad scientist he's like he's not just beholden to frankenstein right but is in fact trying to go i think if i just do this or or thinking maybe in more in terms of how long that's been more modern medicine like well we know now or i think now this would work better i think that's actually kind of cool well, it's like it's like in um, *Son of Frankenstein* when when Basil Rathbone's character Wolf says, "You know, my 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 dad attracted these rays that he didn't understand, but now we know that what he attracted was cosmic rays." Like he's, you know, he's a, his further scientific knowledge now is he's using it to look back on his his father's work and make more sense of it. It's like, oh, well, that makes sense, and we think cosmic rays were how life started on Earth, so that all follows. And so again, it's just it's uh, again we always talk about like just this amazing ability universal has to just take just the, the the modicum of science required just to make the story believable and 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 then move on and and make you stop worrying about it um yeah, so this, uh, uh lightning strikes the the play oh go ahead Olivia. no you're fine i just say this the the production here was and i get the sense that also the writing was very rushed and and for as big a budget as they had the majority of yes. it went to the cast you know they they were they were up against uh, the looming end of Boris Karloff's time with Universal and and Karloff was not you you know he was <laughs> he was not the Boris Karloff of, uh, of old here he he was not enjoying his his time back into Hollywood mm. this this you know he was at uh, on stage for Arsenic right, and Old Lace yeah, right? for a number yeah. of years. Um, yeah. And then he, he came back to Hollywood for a two-picture deal at Universal, and his films were The Climax and this one, and, and he he did not like it. <laughs> and if you and he went from here straight to RKO, and if you were to get an idea of, of how much it, it – or I guess uh, how much enjoying your work really plays a part to you playing a role as an actor, and I say this as someone who's not an actor at all, if you watch this movie or The Climax – and then followed up with either Isle of the Dead or The Body Snatcher, which is what he did right after this, you can see a total difference of of passion and performance that Karloff puts into the RKO films that is missing from the two Universal films. So Interesting, um, interesting. They were much more theatrical oh, productions yes. than this. Yeah. Like less less based on technical requirements and more based on interaction and performance, like yeah. you said, mood. Yeah, that, that's an, I, I see like having having just watched uh, Out of the Dead. Yeah, that's interesting. Although, I mean, I, I think he, I, he doesn't feel like he's phoning it in here at all, but he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's playing the part that he was hired to play, I guess. Yeah. He but he was, he's the top, he's the top paid performer in this, in this film too. I know he's oh, paid, yeah. and, and he, paid like 2000 a week or something like that. Yeah. Something, uh, 20, you know. I think it was like $20,000 is, is ultimately 20, yeah. what, what he got um, for for this one, but I think the result so of his, you know, his yeah, his tight uh, schedule that led them to have I think some shortcuts writing wise. So like you know the town later right. switches from Viseria to Frankenstein, and then also yeah. just I mean there's there's goofs all over in the makeup you know between Dracula and the Wolfman <laughs> as the movie goes mm-hmm. on here too. So I think that's a, probably yeah. the result of that. Yeah, interesting. I mean, because he's in, because Karloff's in the movie more than anybody, anyone else at all, because his character, you know, him and Daniel obviously continue through the whole thing. Um, so, uh, the, uh, the, uh, so, so lightning strikes the prison. It, there's a storm happening. Lightning strikes the prison and knocks a hole in the wall and the floor caves in. And, um, 
Niman and Daniel find a way to uh, escape out of the prison. They, they takes them into the tunnels downstairs and, and they escape, which is the first time this happens in the, in the film and it happens yeah, again later say. on, which is really interesting. Like the same thing kind of happens to them. It kind of <laughs> keeps happening, but you know, it's I like maybe, maybe we'll call that a callback rather than just, you know, easy I mean, writing or stuff i guess in the, in the yeah, world exactly of... well well it seems like fate just keeps happening to to help these guys out which is it's interesting. Right. um uh they uh but but i think it's important they they didn't earn their freedom they stole their freedom right they escaped they 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 didn't pay their debt they actually you know um uh so, so they they make their way out and they run into lampini's wagon which is stuck in the mud with all the storm and they offer to help and daniel puts his shoulder in, and daniel's obviously quite strong uh um very similar to quasimodo right i mean he's he's we're sort of playing off the Quasimodo thing with the hunchback and the, and he's, he himself is physically strong, but, but emotionally very simple. Um, they help push the wagon, uh, Lampini, who's played by George Zucco in a, in a great little cameo kind of almost role, uh, invites the men out of the rain to ride with him and they, they get in the thing and, and they have this conversation about, um, where he's going. Um, yeah, I just, I just love Zucco in this. He's, it's, he's almost, it's funny. We just did a film, with him in it and I, I looked at this film i was like is that Zucker? like i had to look him up because he's got the mustache and he's doing a bit of an accent and he's doing like he's really playing the part of this like carnival barker you know kind of traveling yeah. guy yeah i think he uh, uh i think he ended up like only doing this this role in like three days so so lampini is going to they ask him if he's going to viseria and he tells Nimon that, you know, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to Viserys because they had a fuss a few years ago with this crazy scientist who named Nimon, who, who, what is it? He, he gave, he gave the, the brain of a human being into the, into a dog or did he put the brain, of, he put, he put a human being's brain into a dog, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah it's right. one of the to, diagrams he had up on that the brain wall. of a human being. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It seems, it, that seems to be one of his favorite things to do. Um, <laughs> which, which is much more, um, like uh dr moreau kind of science than than it is frankenstein science it's interesting but we do get we're really getting into the the brain stuff that becomes it kind of like dominates all the frankenstein type films at some point and i think it starts with ghost right where 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 igor's brain is put into the brain into the body of the monster yeah because this whole thing turns into a whole brain swap thing where <laughs> like i i made a diagram for everybody to, to reference because it's really like there's a it's, it gets guys it gets very confusing with the brain swapping you, coming up yeah we yeah. need we need visual assistance Bolo is interesting yeah i i did i had to, I had to figure it out it took me forever i was trying to draw the arrows like whose brain goes where i'm like this is really perplexing it's interesting you mentioned oh. uh, uh dr moreau because edward lowe who who wrote the screenplay based off a Sionmax story here, actually worked on Island of Lost Souls, as well okay. as uh, he worked on, um, I think it's called The Vampire Bat, the early 30s movie with Lionel Atwell. He he helped write that. Yeah. And interesting note is Lionel Atwell's character in that one, Mad Scientist, is called Dr. Neiman. So they're using the same know. same name here So many many years later. Interesting. See? Um I mean, obviously, the brain thing starts. I I, I was just realizing I, what I just said, and I, obviously, the brain thing starts with Frankenstein originally, with with the assistant grabbing the the Abby Normal brain. Instead. Yes. Oh, I was. Gonna, <laughs> I knew. I brain knew brain. we'd have a reference. A Mel Brooks. You reference. knew a young Frankenstein reference yes. <laughs> was coming up at some point. Yeah, it had to. Um. Uh. So, 
Nimon, Boris Karloff's character, wants to go to Regalberg. Uh, and and Lampini doesn't want to go to, to, to Regalberg. He's like, that's way too far away, and I'm not doing this stuff. And, and, and Nimon's like, well, we're going to Regalberg. And he has Daniel lunge over and, and kill the driver. And what they're going to do is take off, t- take their identities. Um, because, again, Nimon has two missions here he he wants to further his continue his research and 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 uh learn frankenstein's secrets and incorporate them into his own science so that he can you know better his science um and he also wants revenge and there's these three guys uh, named strauss ullman and husman who all had a part in putting him in prison and so his first stop is to is to re- wants to go to regalberg where husman lives and he's going to take his revenge on him so that's kind of the next step so um, you talk about production the, the, production value. Yeah. Uh, look at the death scene of George Zuko here, because the music kind of swells up, and you see J. Carroll Knight or Daniel come, you know, with his hands outstretched right towards the camera. Right. Zuko's, right camera. Zuko's face is like shock and terror, and the, the lightning and thunder flashes at the same time. And it's just a simple—I mean, I say simple, but it's it's nothing spectacular. It's it's a strangulation scene, but it, the way that it's it's done and put together is is pretty pretty frightening. Right. Yeah. No. No. It's really cinematic. Um. Uh. The 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 important plot point here, as far as this being a monster movie, is that Lampini, in his traveling carnival, um, claims to have the body of the original Count Dracula in a coffin w- uh, with dirt from uh, his native soil that Lampini brought from the Carpathian Mountains, uh, with a stake through his heart, and. This is a, an exhibit that Lampini is taking around and, and, and shows when he, whenever he does exhibits. Um, and he talks about, you know, all you have to do is they have a little they have a little like vampire lore refresher, which I which I think is nice where, where even right. uh, Karloff has to go in and be like, oh, uh, you know, oh, and the vampire has to lay there and if you and the, a bit of the sun will destroy him. And if the state comes out, of his heart, they, they go back and they kind of reset all the rules or repeat all the rules, I should say, uh, for the vampire thing, because that's obviously going to factor into, you know, what what comes here. And and it has been a few years since. Well, I guess Son of Dracula would have been the Livia, right? Would have been the last. Yeah. So it would have been the year before. Vampire thing. Yeah. For, for but not really like like I mean I I guess yeah it we get into the vampire rules in Son of Dracula right but but here at least we're sort of reestablishing like the the actual yeah I think here is more more original like, lore yeah the yeah. basics because Son of Dracula I think dealt more with kind of the occult and wanting to become a vampire and what happens when you become yeah. a vampire and you know things like that uh, here is more about just like you said you know you need a layer of soil from from your native birthplace and and uh, Dracula changes into a bat at night and can't stand the sunlight you know basically all the plot yeah. points of the next fifteen minutes are laid out <laughs> from between George yeah. Zuko and yeah. Boris Karloff. Right, right, right. Cool, man. Um, uh, so, uh, so we get to so, so the rest of the film is sort of broken into three sections, where we kind of have the Regal's Regalberg section, we have the Frankenstein section, and we have the the Viseria section. Um, so now we're 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 getting to again. It's it's you know it's kind of like a road trip movie, right? I mean, it's like I said, like it's sort of a, <laughs> potential buddy comedy <laughs> between yeah, right, da- Daniel exactly. and Doctor Nemo, two buddies, right? <laughs> yeah. John Candy and Steve Martin starring in House of Frankenstein. Right, exactly. It's like playing trains and automobiles. <laughs> Vampire, vampires, werewolves, and monsters. Um, uh, uh, so, w- yeah, we're, we're going to Regalsburg now, and we're going to meet a whole bunch of new characters. Again, um, uh, 
Nimon and Daniel have adopted these new roles, Nimon is going to impersonate Lampini for the rest of this thing. And he's now shaved and he's just got his little mustache and his little hat and everything like that. And he looks he looks much more dapper than he is. Um Daniel it gets dressed as a like a lion tamer or whatever. Organ or grinder. Carnival, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Organ grinder monkey. Yeah, exactly. For the, for the rest of the film. And he's kind of stuck in this. Well, for, until they get to the his laboratory, I guess he's kind of stuck in this. I'm sorry, poor, poor, poor Daniel, kind of ridiculous outfit. <laughs> um, uh, so we're going to meet a whole bunch of new characters here and, and be with them for about 15, 20 minutes. And then, and then we're going to leave them. So it gets, again, the, the, there's how long is the film? It's seven, is it? That's about eighty something minutes. If I don't think it's quite that long. It's like an hour and uh, ten minutes, if that. There's a, and but there's so let's we'll pause for the stories. Man, there's a lot happens in this movie yeah. for that time. I mean, there's there's <laughs> yeah. movies that just aren't as dense. This is a very dense plot plotted film. A lot we we go from character to character and seppies to seppies several times. It's it's wild. Um, but it just gives us more opportunity to have all the different you know, all our actors that we love and stuff popping up in and out of it. Um, so we are going to Hussman's uh, house now. Um, Hussman is, is, is he, he's like a burgomaster or something, right? He's like, yes, he's like the head of this town. Yeah. Okay. And then right. uh, Lionel Atwill, uh, who, whose name is Arns, Arns, Ars, Ars. Yeah. He's, he's Inspector Arns in this one and Inspector Holtz in Arns, House of Dracula. Yeah. I get him confused all the time. Right. Yeah, it's it's still a little easy to. Um uh is 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 his kind of second in command. Um uh Husman has a daughter named Re- has has a son named named um Carl, and then Carl has a wife named Rita who is uh, from America and is just as bossy and impatient and arrogant and stubborn as any typical American, I guess. Make, makes you wonder. Yeah, they try. I mean, they really. This is where they really try to play up the like. I'm a fast talking dame from America, <laughs> and then we also right. get the period time. You know, the time period. Oh, women, right? Yeah. You. Yeah, yeah. Oh, There's a little wow. bit of that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it was, but it, it plays into like you know, like I said, I think it also plays into. There was a lot of kind of screwball comedy timing uh-huh. and kind of popularity the popularity of that kind of genre of movie right and the the banter and everything kind of fits with what was going on during that time and i think this kind of was meant to play that up you know when we're talking about how it felt to uh you know it's very it is very dense but it is also in sections right so right at times it did kind of feel like well we promised them a dracula so here's our Dracula part, in a way. Once once this all all plays out, which isn't necessarily bad, it would have been nice had there been more interplay between the sections. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, that would have like, been. That say, would have. I think been movies, more. Yeah, yeah. That would have been more successful for I think what people really wanted. But yeah, you know, it's there's a lot of. Of stuff going on in each part, which is great. So, I, yeah, I, yeah, I exactly. think when um, <clears throat> when Universal tried to basically hide the fact that they wanted Karloff to do another Frankenstein movie until he had already signed and like you know committed his his time, and I think their idea of of making sure he wouldn't back out of this because it 
an interview that he did during this time, I think before this movie started, he, but he said, I will never play the monster again. You know, this, this is not, <laughs> he, mm. he was very, very critical of what universal had done with the character. And, you know, rightfully so this is not the, the movies of this time are not, you know, the ones of, of 10 years prior, but um, I think universal had, had toyed around with the idea of potentially having Karloff as both the doctor. And if they could, shorten the role of the monster to where they could make him up as the monster and have him do very mm. limited activity only in the very, you know, last minutes or so of the movie. Um, Interesting. They could convince him to do that, but obviously that, that didn't happen. But the way the story plays out kind of fits that, that narrative where the, the, you know, break it up and, and essentially the monster is just a, the monster is more of a cameo here than, <laughs> than anything. Yeah. yeah. In, in the, in this and, and uh, house of, Dracula too, unfortunately. So, um, uh, so, uh, Rita, Hussman's daughter, um, Hussman, by the way, is, 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 is played by, uh, Sig Roman, who is, uh, it, when you see him and, and you hear him, you, you, you recognize him. Uh, he, he was, he was in, uh, with the Marsh Brothers, a couple of films he did, a night at the opera, he did night at Casablanca. Um, he's probably most famous for playing Sergeant Schultz in Billy Wilder's Stalag 17, which is the character that, John Banner's character in Hogan's Heroes was very, very closely based on, even to the point where they have the same name and stuff. But um, uh, Sigrama was a, a German actor who'd come to America and, and just was big and boisterous and stuff and funny and, and always... Uh, you were, he was always in on the joke that he was being a clown, kind of. It was, it, I, always, I just love when he shows up. And t- I don't know how many other Universal horrors he did if any besides this this he, he just he seems to just pop up in this but he's i just always delight in him he's funny in this movie um uh rita wants to go to the horror carnival uh and and see see the see the show and she drags her husband carl and 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 the burgomaster and the burgomasters like she seems to be able to boss around like the burgomaster and the chief of police in this town and just tell them no you're coming and they're like okay i guess we're coming <laughs> they have no they have the no real say in the matter. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but of course, uh, the show they're coming to see is uh, uh, Neiman's show, as as pretending to be, of course, pr- uh, La- Professor Lampiri. Um, and he gets up and he does his carnival bit. So we get to see, you know, you know, uh, when we did uh, Murders of the Rumor, Scott and I talked a lot about like Lugosi being a carnival barker and how obviously he can command a stage and how his voice kind of flows out and, and just imagine like it just it suits all his natural abilities here we get to see Karloff do kind of the same thing where he's as as a mad scientist he's playing a role as a carnival barker uh doing this act of where where he's showcasing everyone uh, Dracula's skeleton so he opens the coffin he shows just the skeleton there with the stake through his heart and he says the whole thing well, but were I but to remove the stake but you know he would whatever um uh, Hussman, who's in the audience with with Reed and everybody, like thinks it's rubbish. Um, they kind of, they kind of mock him, and then he also he recognizes Neiman, but he can't quite place him. So so there's this moment where you know he's like, I feel like I know you, and he's like, Oh no, you knew my. And then and then Arns arrested Neiman at one point in the past, and he's like, Are you the guy I arrested? And he's like, No, that was my brother. Like <laughs> so he's he's his. I mean, obviously Neiman is here as part of his plan for revenge, but it, he's got to negotiate all this stuff. And again, he's back in this town 15 years later after he left it. And, and, you know, he's, 
or after after I guess he didn't leave this town. So anyway, well, um, so yeah, it's I think Atwell in a way kind of def- or Inspector Arns kind of defends the whole vampire legend. You know, he says, well, you know, because because oh, right. uh, um, Regal or not, <laughs> that's a town. Husman says, you know, all oh, this is Husman. just rubbish, and uh, you know, Inspector Arns is like, well, you know, I'm not sure. It's it's kind of he kind of implies that it's a, a very very rooted or strong belief of the, mm-hmm. of the towns in, in vampires. And even, even one of the villagers there is like, oh, yeah, I believe it's true. And uh, and uh, that's when you kind of see – this is one of Boris Karloff's shining moments, I think, because he gets – Karloff is really, really cold, and and you can tell that he's, like, laser-focused on on uh, on Sigrum and, and um, yeah. you know, he, he wants to just – like murder him right there in the spot, and and he's he's going to essentially attempt to do that in here a little bit, but um, yeah, he kind of uh, Sig Ruman really starts to recognize him, and that's when Daniel kind of hears it and and drops the curtain uh, real quick, and and the crowd kind of disperses, and they you know everyone out in the crowd kind of forgets it, and that's when yeah. Boris Karloff, who's doing an intense death stare, you know, in that direction, yeah, looks over yeah. looks over at uh, Dracula's. Skeleton pulls out a stake and and walks as if he's going to go and try to attack the guy, and then he realizes, "Oh crap! What did I just do?" <laughs> yeah, it's like an accident because I don't think Nemon believes any of this himself. Like he's he's doing the act right, but he doesn't actually believe that when he pulls the stake out that this skeleton is going to turn into Count Dracula. And he, there, yeah, there's this moment where he turns and and realizes, like, and there's. <laughs> There's there's a dude there in the coffin, and we see we here's the introduction of uh, John Carradine into the Universal Mythos for the first time as Count Dracula, um, taking I, over obviously from Bela Lugosi. Yeah, I really like the effect, and I like that they they attempt to kind of build up like from bones into mm-hmm. you know we see like the nervous system kind of idea. It doesn't. It perhaps isn't the budget to go from nervous system to muscle to, yeah, to skin to sinew to skin. But you know, really cool idea and execution on the build-up process for that. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, you're yeah, talking yeah. about hey, maybe the, um, you know, the officer realized, you know, realizes hey, maybe there is something to the superstition. By the way, he might have also heard from compatriots who. You know, up until not too long ago, didn't think that there was a wolfman. Mm-hmm. And yet there's a whole investigation of a wolfman at some point, too, right? So right, right. there's a possibility in this timeline that he's like, well, you know, if there was a wolfman and it's documented in police it's, record, it's the, maybe yeah, there's, is, this could work. Or maybe, that, maybe there's something uh, to this superstition. There's uh, more things in, he- in heaven and earth, right, than... Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So Dracula and Nemon kind of reach this devil's bargain where uh, Nemon instantly decides like, okay, I will, um, I'm, you know, you're going to help me and, and I'll help you. And um, Nemon sort of agrees. I mean, Nemon sort of agrees to be Dracula's new Renfield. He's like, I'll serve you, but then you have to obey me too. And and in the, his plan, I think that he instantly realizes that this is a great way to take revenge on Husman. Is I'm going to sick Count Dracula. On him. <laughs> he, he arrives to yeah. it very quickly. Um, uh, but 
But that's exactly what happens as as uh, Hussman, Rita, Carl are all walking home with the inspector. Um, uh, uh, a carriage shows up and it's Dracula's carriage. I'm not sure where he got the carriage, um, but he's Dracula, so you know. Um, and he offers to pick him up and give him a ride, and he and introduces himself, and he's you know all charming and everything. And and Rita instantly is obviously kind of hypnotized by him. So, you know her her uh, like you're saying, Tony, like her moxie is is it, from this point on in the film is kind of gone. And and she's if we if we use the the phrase uh, seems to be instantly under his thrall. Yeah, definitely. I also yeah. find it interesting that there is a, and I think it's still there's a certain classism to things as well mm. that I didn't pick up on, but I find fascinating at at a level where Dracula says, "I am a noble." There's no like, "Are you sure?" Or right. there, it's instantly like, oh, well, you're rich too. Let's go to my house and party. There's, yeah, there's they never, instantly invite him over. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got fancy never clothes, a point right? Where they question. It's just like, hey, rich people stick together, right? We're all, we're all uh, we rich this, yeah. and well to do here. So let's, let's hang out. Why wouldn't we hang out? And I think that kind of class interplay, especially when you see later on with the, you know, Romani camp and everybody coming in and, you know how mm-hmm. Daniel is treated and all of that. Yes. You know, maybe that sub maybe that was supposed to be subtext, maybe it wasn't, but just how we all go along with it as well. It's like, oh, we're right. we're of this class. Let's all hang together. And there's almost right. no questioning of that. And I really that was something I was really kind of like, oh wow. You know. And we still kind of do that to this day. <laughs> I think so. I mean, and I think that's how Dracula works his mojo. Really, is his, you know he's he's tall and handsome and dresses well and speaks well or elegantly at least, and people trust him. And and you have you again you have that contrast between him and Daniel, who speaks a little more haltingly. He's he's you know awkward socially, you know, and then also he's got a, a physical ailment that makes him different and and makes people look at him differently. So. And not trust him, obviously. Something, you know, something I haven't ever seen that I can remember, and possibly I'm just misremembering, is a vampire who's not a noble, who learns how to act like a noble and get into places that he... Right, right. You know, and, and, like, and just, just like, well, I was never it, yeah. noble, but I've, I can trick my way into the human world and act like a noble enough. And you you think over time... That, the, they could yeah. learn how to do that. If after a hundred years, you could pick up on all that and, <laughs> yeah. and start disguising. Yeah, and really yeah. use it, right? I don't yeah, think I've yeah, ever yeah. seen that. I came from humble beginnings, but I'm gonna be a noble. I mean, possibly that it's, it's you know, it's out there in that way. Mm-hmm. But certainly, you know, when we see the original Lugosi's always been who he is. The aristat aristocratic. Yeah, he's, he's always you know. been an aristocrat. Yeah. He's always been important. Um, I mean, I mean, Lugosi kind of did that himself, where he grew up with kind of humble beginnings and and you know sure. working class or whatever, and then turned himself kind of into a count in the way right. that he played all those roles with this this poise and this elegance. That's not really how he totally grew up. So in a way, like he did that, which is pretty funny. No, that's that's um, fascinating too. That's a fascinating yeah. way to think about it. It would be interesting to see that play out more often on screen. Yeah, li- life imitating art, imitating life. Sure. Um, uh. So so again, yeah, they they and they. I like that they make a point of 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 Husman inviting 
he's saying uh, Dracula is saying like let's go to uh, my inn and we'll have some wine and Hoisman says no 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 my wine's better in my cellar let's like I would like to invite you to my house so he he officially invites the vampire into his house uh which again is is goes back to a lot a lot of uh, uh Slavic legends that that a vampire can't enter your house unless he's invited her or she I guess um so they go back they sit down and 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 I think the implication is some time has passed and it's pretty late because it's late when they go to the it's like 11 p.m. when they even go to the carnival or something. I think they mentioned. So now it's it's quite late. Um, they're sitting around drinking wine. Hussman is asleep in in Hussman Sr. in, in a chair. Uh, they, he's sort of had enough wine and he passed out. Um, they've run out of wine. Carl's going to go downstairs, to get some more from the cellar. And Dracula has a moment. Dracula, who is who's again introduced himself as Baron Latos, which is in the Carradine section of the Universal movies. That's that's his, you know, alias that that he 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 works under. Um, do we know where Latos come came from, Livio? Like, is it, I am not sure. Um, I, I think it was just a, I guess, a name. You know, I mean, they used Alucard in in nineteen forty three in this in you know, Son of yeah. Dracula, but the you know that that was the one. It's not an time. anagram though, so yeah, I don't know what. It's just it's just an alias. I, I think it's one of the first times that. I guess Dracula uses a, 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 an alias, yeah, at least as far as the character of Dracula, because, in, you know, in the original, he is Dracula. Um, yeah. And then, I guess, in Alucard, he, he just switches his name around. You could call it an alias, I yeah. suppose. And, and then, of course, Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. He's Dr. Lejos, <laughs> which yes, is a, Lejos, yeah. suspiciously like Latos, but... <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, well, you know, in the first... Like we we talked about this in one in our pretty much very first episode when we talked about Dracula is that that you know you have to understand you have to it's hard to go back in time and imagine a time when someone would hear the word Dracula the name Dracula and be like oh that sounds like a nice guy like it's so synonymous in our culture obviously with whatever and and Universal kind of caught on to that that it wasn't I don't think it was going to be believable for people to go oh Count Dracula it's nice to meet you like. It, it was so in the zeitgeist of even, you know, the middle of the 20th century that that I think it was a neat idea that they started incorporating that reality into the the fantasy of the films and saying, like, Dracula would have to have an alias because he he's too well known. Like, even, you know, and even in this film, again, this film, House of Dracula and, and then Abner Costello, every time someone finds a ring or sees the, the emblem on his coffin... Everyone goes Dracula's crest, so everyone knows what Dracula's crest looks like. So right. obviously they know who Dracula is. Like he's he's a legend in 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 the Universal world as much as he is the real world. So yeah, so the Baron Latos. Uh, <laughs> and obviously, since he he doesn't keep mirrors around, he doesn't realize that Alucard is a bad idea, considering <laughs> how ubiquitous mirrors are to the to the non vampire world that's funny that that's his failing in that movie is that he, didn't, he never realized if you hold it up to a mirror you spell it spelled backwards <laughs> i don't have mirrors why would i'll never find how would i know that oh man <laughs> that was far too simple everybody has should have, i should have thought up a different name yeah. <laughs> um uh rita is transfixed by dracula's ring um so i i think again i think this is you know we we have the Livio, tell me out. The, does the ring? Is there a ring in Son of Dracula? There is, um, and actually, the there's uh, in the original Dracula. 
If yeah, I'm you know, I'm, I guess our listeners can can correct me or Tony, even if if you know, I don't believe he wears a ring, or if he does, it's, it's not it's not ever a focal focal point, and actually, it's it's yeah. not a focal point of Son of Dracula either, except that whenever you see Cheney, um, or I'm sorry, whenever you see Alucard. He always grabs the, the, cause the ring's on his pointer finger in that movie. He always grabs right. the ring and, and kind of just, just plays with it, um, plays as, with it. Yeah, as, as yeah. he's talking. And then this is the first time that y- you kind of see it more where it becomes an, essentially an instrument of his, his powers or his yeah. ability to, to put somebody in a trance. Right. Well, it comes up in Daughter, Dracula's Daughter. I think it's the first time we really see it, which is, I guess, the first oh, time yes, we see right. Dracula. So, yeah, so it plays in. But, but here, here we really do get, get to use, get to see it, it on display. Um, uh, Dracula, aka Latos, um, notices she's staring at his ring and he gives it to her and he puts it on her, on her finger and she says, it's too big. And he's like, it'll shrink. And when we do this little effect where it actually does shrink and it, and it gets on her finger and then it, it's not going to come off now. Um, so in a way, he's he's sort of like married himself to her now, like as as his is you know earthly concubine, what have you, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, and, and 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 this is a thing she's he's made her his. Um, I, I noticeably absent in this film is is Dracula ever drinking or seeming the to need to drink anyone's blood, right? Like we don't have an incident where Dracula goes and, and feeds first. Right. And like, cause he's been dead for undead, whatever. He's been a skeleton for however long at this point, you would think he would wake up and be like, I'm a little, <laughs> a little I'd like to nosh a little bit. Right. Um, so, so, you know, it's funny that that, how do I want to say it? That main element of, of the Dracula myth is that, 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 or the vampire myth in general, that the vampire has to feed on human blood um, is, is kind of, absent in this as far as like he, he doesn't need to do it he does it as a way to kill but he doesn't like it's not like he's doing it because because he's a predator he's just this this is his means of attack i guess if he was a role-playing game this would be his lead attack yeah. right <laughs> i mean this dracula it always in you know, the past couple times i've seen it and went through it it he always has more of a magician flair, yeah, yeah, than a vampire flair. I think in costuming and gen- in general, it has that flavor and less of the traditional. And he, I, you know, just the way it's written and the way it's performed, he's way less of that kind of overall evil feel yeah. or like dark. There's not as dark of a vibe. No, um, there, it's, he, he's not as de- not as demonic, right? Yeah, or, or whether that was intentional, he's not as much of a, even a ruiner. He's he yeah. obviously has his things he wants to get done, but even that's not as clear. Yeah, in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the one of the so bigger his, his motivations, other than hey, you know, here's an opportunity. He's more of an opportunist than right. a I'm going to methodically plan how I'm going to ruin these yeah. people and or society. Yeah. One exactly. of the, one of the bigger criticisms of, of Count Alucard and son of Dracula is like, well, you know, he, he, he is essentially a, a foil to, to a human, you know, to, to a woman who, mm-hmm. who uses him. And it's like, they take it almost a step further here. I mean, cause here you have, you know, the, the King of the vampires, right. You know, Count Dracula and you have this, this 60 some year old human male, 
<laughs> essentially mm-hmm. controlling him and 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 yeah. saying do my bidding for me and and like you know Tony like you were saying there there's no threat to John Carradine as 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 Dracula he's he's you actually get more of a threat vibe I think from Daniel in this movie than you do yeah. from Dracula yeah he's humbled quite a bit uh in this and 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 then on on into uh son of son of, or house of Dracula I guess um but but he does. I mean, I, the one thing I do like is that this 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 Dracula just walks effortlessly through the modern world, blending in. You know, when we talked about Dracula, we talked a lot about him being the thirty one film. We talked about him being an alien, and the whole bit of like, you know, when's the last time he made a bed or cooked cooked food for somebody, or when's the last time he you know just had a normal conversation with someone who was not one of his you know, servants or slaves or whatever in, in, in Transylvania. Um, now he's sort of suddenly in a parlor room somewhere in Whitby having conversations with, with dinner guests and stuff. And he's so awkward and, and eerie and strange and otherworldly. Um, and people write it off to the fact that he's, well, he's, you know, a foreigner, obviously, but, um, but this, this Dracula just is so smooth. What, one thing I will say in his benefit is he's, he's so smooth and, and, and oily and and able to manipulate and stuff that 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 is a little he, he's i guess he, he is he's more icky than he is scary like he's just like ooh like <laughs> he's he's a liar yeah. he's a you know he, he he's he nothing is true about him he's a manipulator yeah it's 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 very strange um uh so he does excuse himself. Uh, uh, Carl comes back up with the wine, but he's like, you know, it is very late, and I, I need to leave. And and so he excuses himself from the house, and Carl walks him out. Um, uh, I find it funny that uh, Peter Peter Coe's Peter Coe, who is from Yugoslavia uh, originally, <laughs> um, his he's not. Well, first of all, he's he's kind of not my favorite part of the film. I'll just say that he's just a little. I'm not sure how his performance kind of fits in the vibe of everyone else's. But that aside, what I do find it funny is that, you know, we're supposed to be in Eastern Europe or Central Eastern Europe here. And we have a bunch of actors. We have German actors. We have American actors. We have, isn't Carradine from like the Midwest or something or Boston or something? I can't remember. I don't know where John Carradine was born. Mm, um, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, you know, from all over the place, you know, uh, obviously uh, Lon Chaney Jr. is from America. Um, here you have this one actor who's actually sort of from the area we're trying to talk about. He's Yugoslavian and his accent seems really off to me because it's actually kind of authentic a little bit. It's really fun. I just find that really funny. Like, like he sounds odd in this film and it's just because everyone else is from somewhere not as, not as genuine as, as this place. It makes you wonder what, um, in the, you know, character wise, what his mom would look like with, you know, Sig Ruman is very obviously German and has that accent. And then you have Peter Coe, who is <laughs> yeah, right. not at all look or sound like that. Yeah. It's like, what does his mom look or sound like? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I guess maybe he was sent away for school or something, but, um, uh, so, but Dracula, uh, is not really going home. He, uh, uh once he leaves the the front door, he goes right around to the side. He goes to the the side office where uh, Husman is is looking through a book, going through names, and he comes to Neiman's name. So so Husman has has figured out who Lampini is. He's, he's actually Neiman, this guy that he put away for uh, helped put away for, in prison fifteen years ago. Just as he's figured that out, uh, Dracula's going to do his thing, <laughs> do his Dracula thing. Um, and there's a good shot where it zooms in and he opens the door and just just staring at him, which is a little, you know, 
I'll, I'll give it to him. That's a good moment. Um, hypnotizes him, and we have the first time in in and and we do we see this a couple times in Universal films coming up after this of. Wait, no, did, did Cheney Jr. turn in... Did we do the animation thing where he turns into a bat? Yeah, that was the Son of Dracula was the That's first Cheney time. That's Cheney Jr. is the first yeah. time we see yeah. that. Okay, in Son of Dracula. You're right, Livio. Um, but we see we have it here again, too, which... Uh, the top hat uh, changes with him, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, the clothes always always change as well. I mean, when, when he turns into a skeleton, the clothes just sort of disappear as well. I, I find that... Or when he comes back from being a skeleton, his clothes reappear. So it's not like the skeleton's dressed in a a raggedy tuxedo and cape and top hat, right? Which I, you know. Um, uh, so he, he turns into a bat and, and flies over and bites uh, Hussman and, and drains his blood. And so this way, I think we've talked about this before. This, this, I think this is how Universal got away with having a man bite another man on the neck and, and not have any of the homosexual connotations or anything like that, that, that the, you know, Sensors would have had an issue with obviously and, and all that stuff in at, in the time, um, and I mean people now would have an issue with it I'm sure too so whatever, um, uh, so so he he's downstairs doing that Rita's upstairs with Carl and Rita is full on on this way we have a great shot where she's looking out the window and she's silhouetted which I, I just think is a beautiful there's some there's some amazingly beautiful shots in this film for you know for, yeah for it being a monster mash film there's some elegant elegant moments it's beautiful I would say. You know, there there's enough that sometimes uh, there there are certain spots where the cinematography takes over where maybe the narrative wasn't as strong, right? Or, right. You know, I don't want to say performance is as strong, but nar- definitely narrative and kind of how things are put together, which at some points are a little bit faster and looser than mm-hmm. other movies. Um, but they're they really setting up some really nice shots. Yeah, there's, By the way, there's in, a few, in there's, future there's one coming up. Yeah, and in, in future things I think I want to have if I ever get to do a vampire comic, I think I'm gonna have bats with top hats just to <laughs> Right. I think just, that would be great. <laughs> I mean it, if if it just shrinks just enough and the little top hat stays on the bat as he flies yeah, around. Exactly. I, I think it'd be I think it'd be fantastic. Maybe a little, little like a little... very Mignola style. Yes, exactly. Like I, I could see I could that. see him drawing little yeah, little little bats with top hats for sure, man. <laughs> let's 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 make that a thing. Let's let's try and will that into so. the world. More bats normalize bats with top hats. Yes. Um uh Carl uh locks Rita into her room. Well, Carl realizes she's what you know under under his thrall. He recognizes the Dracula ring. He realizes something's wrong. He locks her in the room, runs downstairs to talk to his dad, finds his dad dead. Um, calls calls Inspector Arnst, um, and it's like you know my my father's been killed. He's been bitten. There's two little things. Um, he goes back up to check on Rita, and and even though the doors were locked, obviously uh, Dracula has managed to to have the doors open. Rita has gone outside to meet him and and is going to go away with him and and carl gives pursuit and we have this what's really like an awesome chase scene in the middle of this movie and i'll point out too the the music here so what you know you mentioned like the cinematography and stuff i I think the for me because i mean i'm obviously i'm a huge fan of the music of of these scores of these films but the music is like the best part of this movie um the salter was able to come up with while using a lot of the same motifs and and themes he was able to to really come up with a a really original sounding score. And he, he partnered with a guy named Paul Dessau, who is also a, a German uh, immigrant who, who, you know, fled Hitler, but, but Dessau really, 
uh, in today's standards, really did stuff that was a lot more contemporary than you would normally hear around this time. Mm. And it really shines through, especially in some of these Dracula the scenes, you know, as you know, especially when he mm-hmm. hypnotizes Rita and, and she kind of like zombie like walks out and just the the low yeah. and and dark ominous music and, and stuff that goes along with it. It's really really good and effective. So there, yeah, there's really original shine. stuff in this, right? Yeah. Um, there is original music in this, right? I mean, I mean, it's not all it, it was all recycled Wolfman stuff. I mean, it, they use a lot of the same, you know, like I said, notes and themes, but it was all newly recorded. Yeah. They, they didn't, you know, right. uh, House of Dracula was was more of the kind of using a lot more of stock music that was hastily recorded. But, yeah. But this one was really reorchestrated. Um, like I said, it, it just it gave it a really a new feel to it, a very, very contemporary feel to it. When, and this, this score actually yeah. was re-recorded in 95 by a film composer, John Morgan and William Stromberg. And, um, even the liner notes of that, of that CD, you know, they're saying the mu- the musicians out loud are actually wondering, is this contemporary or not? Because it does not, does not play, does yeah. not quite sound like a quote unquote monster movie, you know, music from yeah. 1944. Yeah. Yeah, no, really, really dynamic stuff, too. Um, uh, so, yeah, we have this whole crazy horse chase, carriage chase scene where um, Dracula it, is rolling off in his carriage with, with Rita in, inside it. Dracula's up on top driving. Um, the, uh, the police have shown up on horseback, um, and uh, oh, well, well, Carl's chasing the, the, the carriage on foot, falls down, exhausted, the the police show up on horseback. Carl takes one of the horses from the one of the police, and and they 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 follow. Um, as as they're catching up to Dracula, Nemon and and Daniel are in their carriage, and they start <laughs> leading the way. So so Nemon and and Carl, Nemon and Daniel are in front. Then there's Dracula in his carriage, and then there's all the guys on horses chasing them. Um, and Nemon's Nemon very quickly. It, like, because because his goal is accomplished here. Hussman is dead. I, you know, he assumes. I, I think that 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 Dracula served his purpose for him. He has no further use of Dracula anymore. So he has the idea to have Daniel do do this whole do the whole like the Indiana Jones thing, right, or the Zorro thing, whatever you want to call, it, where he crawls around the outside of the carriages. It's going at breakneck speed, swings inside, gets Dracula's coffin, which Dracula needs, obviously, with the dirt and everything like that, and chucks it out the back, right in front of. Dracula's carriage, which Dracula doesn't want to run over his own coffin because he needs that, so he steers off the road, and and the whole thing goes for a tumble. Um, in in this very, I mean, there's some good stunt work here. This is really, and it's filmed like excitingly low angle stuff. There's good process shots of like you know this everything ripping by behind everybody as, yeah. as they're riding. Um, I'm pretty sure that's Lionel Atwell riding a horse at a gallop, right? It, I mean, there's some moments where he pulls up and gets off, and I'm like, that's that's definitely Lionel Atwell. So he I, he is he is uh, on a he horse. He must have been an this. accomplished rider. Um, yeah, I don't know if he how much he actually rode, but he he is on on a horse in this. This was his uh, really his first film back in anything since Frankenstein right. meets the Wolfman. So when he was filming Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, that that's when he was uh, convicted of, of perjury and sentenced to five years yeah. of probation and Hollywood kind of blacklisted him. And, and except yeah. for universal, they, they let things to, you know, simmer down a little bit. And then they, they brought him back in this, this bit role and, and kind of supporting roles. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, 
they do a smart thing where they they have the the horses get away from the carriage before their carriage crashes. So that's kind of good because when the carriage goes over the edge, that the horses aren't anywhere around to be hurt or damaged or anything. Is so there's right. just a stunt. There's just a stunt man. So that's fine. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's really interesting to see a western style yeah. stagecoach chase with Dracula in the middle of a monster movie. Yeah, right? Dracula. It's, it's so that's great. pretty cool. <laughs> to, yeah, yeah, because we we. We have a lot of this kind of stuff, but it's usually relegated to this, you know, bandits mm-hmm. taking over a carriage or, or something like that. And right. here we have something similar. We decided to incorporate that into yes. this, you know, very dark, you know, Dracula style stagecoach, right? Uh, you know, and how all that plays out to see that in a monster movie. Uh, you know, yes. I would also be down to see more of that. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I mean, a nice touch they did. And I honestly, I probably had watched this a hundred times before I even realized this. But um, Carl Peter Coe's character is the hero. He's the one on the white horse, you know, <laughs> chasing mm. uh, oh, Dra- Dracula's uh, carriage. Exactly. All um, you know, all of the we get to see all the Western uh, movie sensibilities in a small section of this. So they really kind of they are really throwing a lot into it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's there's a chase scene. It's great. Um, I find it, I mean, and this is, I go on and on about the this pocket dimension that Universal exists in where time is, is very fluid and everything somewhere between 1880 and 1930. What I think is funny is that the Wolfman, which comes out in 1941, there's, there's cars in it. Where I mean, in the beginning scene, he's drive. you know, Larry Talbot's driving in a car with, with the, the driver guy. So it's obviously vaguely contemporary to the time it came out in 41. Um, this is supposedly like 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 th- two films have gone on now where where Larry Talbot was dead for a while, came back, and now his father's dead too and all this stuff like that. And then he's been dead again for a while. Now it's come back. So this is obviously after that, if, if 10 years or 20 years or whatever. And yet now we're at a time where we have no cars. We have, to, we have everyone's in horses and carriages and it's almost is like the 1880s. It's like, it's like we went back in time, which I just, again, the fluidity of that and the way it allows for the mood to be created and not dispelled by modern conveniences or what what have you, I find I think is super entertaining, and I just enjoy the do, heck out of that. Do you think that that's the case that we're living in a world where we've kind of gone back in time, or do you think that we're living in an area where just in this area of the country there aren't in this these. A lot of oh, I, th- I thought you were picked, asking, picked Tony. I thought you were asking in real life. Do you think we've gone backwards in time? Yes. I was trying to figure out how to answer that. Um, no, no, no. Sure. I, because there's no. A phone, I get what you're saying. Right. Like. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so instead of being in it, Wales, now we're in like Central Europe. So obviously, yeah, it's probably a little bit more backward. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and it's meant to, and to both show that uh, an area, um, you know, a place where superstition exists more readily yes would yes. be a place that perhaps doesn't have cars yes you know that we know this to be right. you know there's there's not as much truth into that but to to kind of put the viewer into a place and also you know this is cooler than a car chase in it's a lot way of ways, cooler than, i was just right? gonna say that it's 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 way more fun than a car chase is a, is a horse and carriage and, and horseback riding case so of course yeah sure. and there's also better. nowhere to I mean, you look at where the carriages get stuck. There's nowhere to, in this area of the country, there's nowhere to drive a car. Yeah. yeah. that Like a, a traditional sedan anyway, right? Like maybe mm-hmm. a truck. 
Um, we are right around... I think it all kind of serves that similar purpose. Yeah, we are right around the time where in Poland, I remember, you know, again, this is 1944, so this is this film is being made while World War II is happening. And I know I, I seem to always go back to World War II during this, these things, but, but I, we are right around the time where when Germany invaded Poland, Poland, the Polish army charged, the Polish cavalry, I should say, charged the German tank lines on horseback because that's all they had. They didn't have tanks and, and jeeps and or cars or whatever like that. So they used horses, which is... sure. And obviously that didn't work out all that well for the Polish cavalry. Um, uh, but yeah, we are. So, so to your point of what you were saying, Tony, yeah, no, we're in a different part of the world. Yeah. And, and perhaps it's a good justification for, for doing it this way rather than, yeah, exactly. Having a, a car chase, which Dracula drive for some reason, Dracula driving his own carriage makes so much more sense. Dracula driving a, a Studebaker or something would have just been very, <laughs> I mean, maybe neat, but, who knows? It turns into Batman that way. I don't know. Yeah. Um, with a top um, hat. <laughs> with yeah, top exactly. Hat. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it serves a lot of different purposes. You know, yeah. you have, again, yeah. if you have an area where there is less technology, I think you do kind of get, regardless of how true it is that, oh, well, they're just in the backwoods and that's why they believe these things. Yeah. Um, Kind of, contemporary view of that kind of puts people like oh look this is how things work here yeah well we'll the story is true to itself and that's all that matters yeah yeah Yeah, for sure exactly um uh we are rapidly closing on the end of the first half of the movie um basically uh, like story-wise and i just want to by one thing i just want to point out this one shot so dracula has been unhorsed obviously he's fallen off the thing off his you know um his his casket is lying on the road up there and he looks up and he sees it um rita's obviously in the in the casket that's been destroyed um dracula runs up in this one shot there's this shot where the camera's moving and dracula runs up this hill to get to his coffin and the the camera comes around and there's these mountains in the background um and the, and as he as he comes around the corner we see the sun has crested the hill and Dracula sees it too, and he's not happy about it. But it's this shot where nothing's real in this shot. This this hill is made. The mountains in the background are just forced perspective sculptures. I think one, the one in the back is maybe just a painting. The sun's fake, and everything. But it the 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 geography of it works perfectly. How it it just comes around, and it's a beautiful shot. It's absolutely incredible. It just looks amazing and and for it being like that critical moment where where dragon sees the sun and he and he throws his cape over his head and then stuff like that it's it's absolutely gorgeous it's one of my favorite shots of honestly I, i'd put this up against almost any shot in universal monsters this shot this one shot is absolutely gorgeous wow beautiful it sells it in ways that some of the other oh no the sun's coming up shots and there's there's a lot of great ones yes. but this sells it in a way that is I think unique enough and beautiful and it's really done well. Um, yes. I'm, I'm totally with you that it's one of the more memorable ones in a, you know, it's kind of odd that it's in a um, section where, you know, Dracula in this movie isn't as iconic, um, you know, isn't maybe quite as interesting as other Dracula's. Right. And yet right. you have one of the best. They give him a great ending, moments, yeah. you know, in there. And so yeah. Yeah. it's, um, so w- one thing about that shot that really struck me as well is a lot of times we're really quick to say, well, this is a lesser, uh, movie 
or you know maybe this Dracula isn't what I liked or or you know maybe the script or the narrative any number of things of why we pick movies that are uh are deemed as you know not as good as the the classic you know what we really think are the ones and I'm always amazed though that that when you go back to something like this there will be all of these parts where everybody's pushing as hard as they can. Mm. And that's kind of why I love just covering cinema in general and just picking up things because you'll catch these moments that we're talking about and they can be these, like you can add them to your memories. If you're a filmmaker, you might add them to your palette of like, Ooh, I would like to do that again. Like I would like to see more of that. Yeah. Um, you're trying to capture those moments or just in that memory of, wow, I did not expect this. And it was like a gift that was given to me by the filmmaker. That's and, cool. I love him. And that's, that, yeah. a, that's a big reason why I like watching things that, you know, you know that there's going to be a certain degree because it's a universal movie, right? Um, and with this cast, and even if you hear like, I heard that wasn't as good. Uh, I've learned to to still go you know what i think i'm gonna watch it anyway because there's got to be some stuff in there and you know i i tell people that all the time like hey maybe watch some of these you know you it's up to you to spend your time however you want i'm not there to be the arbiter of that but i find it rewarding because there's i always say that nobody's out to make a bad movie there are some irony-based companies that do kind of yeah. do that as that's what they do. That's fine. But in general, um, you know, everybody is trying to do what the best they can. Yeah. Under the circumstances. And I, I think it's great when you, when you see, let's say a quote unquote lesser movie and you're like, Oh, but that shot, you know, that what then that's, that's exactly what happens here is like, you're watching, okay, you're watching house of Frankenstein. All right. It's like the, f- fourth or fifth or sixth Frankenstein movie or you know it's fun it's cool oh, that chasing was cool and then this shot it comes out of nowhere and you're like this belongs in the grapes of wrath how is <laughs> yeah the, the time and effort they took this one those mounds in the background and everything like that this is one shot that's for that's a heck of a lot of time or something like that now it makes me suspect that possibly this set was somehow set up for something else maybe at the time and somehow they they were able to do it because this seems like a, a. I'll just. This seems like a lot of money and time to be spent on this one thing for Dracula's funeral. But again, it's it's for the end of Dracula this movie, so whatever. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, know, whatever. Been, whatever been, yeah, led us yeah. to this. Yeah, we'll take I'm it. thankful for it. It's great. <laughs> and you know, at the the end of the day, I mean, so. I mean, this happens all throughout Universal, even in the 30s, but more so in 40s. Is they, re- I think, 100 percent of the sets in this movie were, were, you know, rehashes or redressings from from other mm-hmm. ones. Yeah, and that just happened all the time. They they were on a, an extremely tight schedule for this movie, but um, at like I said, at the end of the day, it's kind of like at the Mummy's hand. You know, when they have that that huge big mammoth set that uh that's a leftover from an from an old james whale movie you know is it right what what's that known for more today is it known for you know it's it's the mummy's hand right <laughs> it's and it kind yeah, of the yeah. same thing here you know that's it's it, so many people 90 years later now are are or 80 years later now are, are watching it and and still enjoying you know these quote-unquote rehash sets and so it it, mm-hmm. it really works 
Yeah, it's like that. the The wall in King Kong was built for another film earlier, and they just were re, they redressed it and reused it. But no one remembers that that King Vidor movie that it was built for. They remember it from King Kong. That's you know it it you know and and that's that's just and that's not being cheap. That's being efficient and it's being creative yeah. with the limitations of your thing. So um, I, I will say so. The, the, we're yeah. sort of wrapping up the the Dracula part. I know one of the. I think if if any monster monster kid could have his wish, it would be that House of Frankenstein somehow would have had Bela Lugosi as as Dracula. So you could have had a movie from the 1940s that had Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi, and Lon Chaney. Yeah, but uh, yeah, all three. Yeah, yeah. So and I know there's been I've seen different theories, different rumors over the years about you know uh, oh well Universal blacklisted him after Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and and kind of all this stuff, and then that's not necessarily true. Ultimately, what happened was at the end of 1943, Karloff announced he was leaving Arsenic and Old Lace and he's going to go back to Hollywood. Well, when he left Arsenic and Old Lace, well, Lugosi replaced him. And so starting yes. from January of 1944, Lugosi was was tied up. And so I'm sure – I mean, I mean, in the in some of the notes of, of the behind-the-scenes stuff, you know, they said – I think George Wagner said, you know, I want to, to have Karloff and Lugosi and Peter Lorre and, and you know, all these people and Cheney. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm sure somebody brought it up, you know, it just just brought up his name. But whether they tried yeah. for him or not, it it wouldn't have mattered because he he just wasn't available. So he so he he couldn't yeah, have yeah. even if Universal had really tried to push for it. So I just wanted to because ironically up. he was playing the part that was that was sort of created for or by or kind of made famous at least by Boris Karloff. Yeah. So again, just lurking in his shadow continuously. Yeah, yeah, all those time. Um, interesting. So. So this is the, and, and uh, so all the all the police run up. Dracula collapses by his coffin. All the police run up, and and by the time they get there, he yeah he has been reduced back to his his skeletal form. He's not able to do it. Um, Carradine really does go for this. I do. It's a again like like we're saying like it's Carradine's Carradine plays a very earthly Dracula, not a, not not that sort of like ethereal haunt, haunted ghost of a of a character um and here he really goes for that and he 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 screams and he's crying and you know he's obviously in pain and stuff and and it's a very human type of agony that he's in um but uh but but you know it it, in a way i kind of enjoy it because again like dracula of all the universal monsters dracula is sort of the least remorseful like he he's he's basically like his own demon he's he's not very sympathetic um so within that kind of context it's 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 kind of nice to see him actually suffer a little bit at the end when he dies it's it's nice to see dracula scared and in pain because he he brings that to so many of his victims that it's a nice turnabout so um so here we have the end of of this whole section of the film this is where dracula is going to exit the film um we are a half hour into a film that's not much more than an hour. So we are sort of at the halfway point in the film. Um, and again, like I said, this is this bifurcation where, where, okay, we're, we're done with this section and we're going to continue on with, with basically almost like the next chapter or next episode of, of this, this show, um, wherein we're going to get the other two big names for the film, uh, come in, 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 in the guise of the Wolfman and the Frankenstein monster. The conversation continues in part two of our special two-part House of Frankenstein episode.
Thank you for listening to this episode. But the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Herons. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.